All right, so let me get into this here. Last week, last week, um, we left it off at Jesus uh, was in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he had just been arrested. Um, we've been going through we've been going through the book of Matthew for three years now, and in the past several weeks, we're at his last day. Um, now, actually, the last night. This has been happening at midnight. He would have been arrested. This is where I want to pick up the text at now. Um, Matthew twenty six verse fifty seven. Those who had arrested Jesus, they took him to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the teachers of the law and the elders had assembled. And the chief priests and the whole Sanhedrin were looking for false evidence against Jesus so that they could put him to death. But they did not find any, though many false witnesses came forward. That's verse 60. Now, if you skip down seven verses, verse 67, they're at Caiaphas' house. They're looking for false evidence. And verse 67 says, And they spit in his face, and they struck him with their fist. Others slapped him. They said, Prophesy to us, Christ, who hit you? So they're mocking him. And my question for us today, what, what just happened? What's going on here? What, why the violence? Why are they beating on Jesus? Uh, because I'm thinking, okay, this is a trial. It's a, granted, it's illegal. It's a trial at night. It, you know, it should have been at night. They're, they're looking for false witnesses. They're doing all this. But you would think they would try to have some kind of appearance of being legit. Like we are, you know, we're civil here. At least we're, we're civil people. We're, we're doing the right thing. And they're hitting him. They're spitting on him. Why the violence? Why, what, what just happened? That's what I want us to look at today. But before we get to that answer, I'll take you back to the beginning of the chapter. And we were here at least a month ago. It could have been two months ago. In Matthew 26, verses 3 through 5, Then the chief priests and the elders of the people, they assembled in the palace of the high priest, whose name was Caiaphas. So they've been here before. But this was during the daytime. This would be, technically, it would have been four days ago. This would have been Thursday night when they arrested Jesus. Well, four days prior to that, uh, at the triumphal entry, this is when the, when the high priest, they're all freaking out that Jesus is getting way too popular here. So it says here, they plotted to arrest Jesus in some slight way and kill him. But not during the feast, they said, or there may be a riot among the people. I just want you to see Four days ago, they were plotting on how to kill Jesus. Didn't want to do it during the Passover, and we're at Passover right now, by the way. This is Passover. Um, and they didn't want to kill Jesus during the Passover, but they did want to kill Jesus. I want you to see, this is premeditated murder, is what's going on here. That's, that's what that is. Call it what it is. This is premeditated. Now, now, we come back to the text here. And at nighttime, at night, Jesus has just been arrested. And where are we at? We're at Caiaphas' home. He's the high priest. They took him to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the teachers of the law and the elders had assembled. They took him to Caiaphas's home in the middle of the night, in secret, during Passover. All this stuff matters. In verse 59, the chief priests and the whole Sanhedrin, they were looking for false evidence against Jesus so they could put him to death. But they did not find any, though many false witnesses came forward. In verse 60, it says, finally, two, for, two came forward, and they declared, this fellow said, I, I am able to destroy the temple of God and rebuild it in three days. That's not what he said. Jesus never said that. that. That's what they're saying he said, but that's not what Jesus said. He said, if you destroy this temple, I can rebuild it in three days. And he's talking about himself. He wasn't talking about the temple. He's talking about himself. You destroy this temple, it'll come back in three days. But, but they're putting words in his mouth. He says, if, if, 
He says he, he will destroy the temple. That's not what he said. What I want you to see, this whole trial is a joke. That's what it is. It's a joke. With corrupt lawyers. I mean, it's not a funny joke. I just want to put that out. Not, not very funny here. You got corrupt lawyers and corrupt prosecutors. You got false evidence. You got lying witnesses. You got crooked judges. You got a two-tiered justice system. Have you heard that term recently? Um, yeah, but that's what's going on here, where the guilty are acquitted, but the innocent are condemned. The Pharisees can do anything they want. And Jesus, there is no justice for Jesus. No justice for Jesus. And can you imagine, I think we can because of where our world is today, but can you imagine the frustration, how disheartening this would be that, that people don't even care about justice. They don't care about the evidence. They don't care about the truth. They don't care. And, and just for clarification, Pilate and Herod, neither one of them found any reason to put Jesus to death. They didn't convict Jesus of any crime. But here, Caiaphas and the Sanhedrin, they wanted to kill him. And Jesus didn't say a word. This is what it says in 62. Then the high priest stood up and they said to Jesus, are you, are you not going to answer? What is this testimony that these men are bringing against you? But Jesus remained silent. The, the whole legal system, I, I just want to uh, point out some things. When you, when you look at the Jewish legal system, and there's been lots of books written on this, and, and I've seen so many, what I, I got here, Caiaphas and the Sanhedrin broke at least 40 laws when they arrested and tried Jesus that night, 40 laws. And I just want to give you a, a little bit of the, the picture here. Uh, criminal cases must be tried and completed during daylight hours. That's the law, during daylight hours. And they're doing this at midnight? Criminal cases could not be tried during the Passover season. And the reason for that, because if you try somebody, especially for a capital punishment, where you're going to put somebody to death, that required three days. The, the first day to examine the evidence, and, 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 and you're leaning towards, okay, we're going, this guy deserves capital punishment. Well, the second day was all about fasting and praying to make sure your decision is right. So you have to fast and pray. And you can't fast during the, the Passover because the Passover is a feast. You're supposed to be feasting during the feast and fasting when it's not a feast. Well, you can't fast during the feast. So right there, they, they're, they're, there's enough of that. Um, and, and then the verdict uh, of the, from the Sanhedrin had to be in the Hall of Hewn Stones uh, in the Temple uh, Precinct. And that's not where it was. It was in Caiaphas' house. All the evidence had to be guaranteed by at least two witnesses. These witnesses must be examined separately and, had, and have no contact with each other. And the objective, the objective here, first of all, the objective is, is justice. We want justice, but we also want mercy. The, the, God's people, God's chosen people, were supposed to be all about a balance of justice and mercy. And, and the objective is, by all means, to preserve human life. But, but the, the law of God, the Word of God, there are times that you must purge the evil from among you. There are times when the law required, you've got to put this person to death. You've got to, end, you've got to purge the evil. But they're looking for just, they're, they're looking for mercy. The violations I have, they, they met at night, they met in secret, they met during Passover, they met in Caiaphas' home. They, they were looking for false evidence. They, they knowingly used false witnesses. I have a verse, I think I got it up here, in Deuteronomy chapter 19, knowingly using false witnesses. 
And this is what it says in Deuteronomy 19. If a malice witness takes a stand to accuse a man of a crime, the two men involved in the dispute must stand in the presence of the Lord before the priests and the judges who are in the office at the time. The, judge, the judges must make a thorough investigation. And if the witness proves to be a liar, giving false testimony against his brother, then do to him as he intended to do to his brother. You must purge the evil from among you. They were trying to kill Jesus. These false witnesses should have known the, the word of God, and they should have known if we lie, then they're going to try. We, should be, we are worthy of death. That's what the law of God says. Deuteronomy 19, verse 20 says, The rest of the people will hear of this and be afraid, and never again will such an evil thing be done among you. Why is the law so stern? Because this cannot be allowed. This is wrong. So everything about this trial was illegal. And Jesus remained silent. So we come to verse 63, and I want you to see Caiaphas' charge. This is really, look at this. The high priest said to Jesus, I charge you under oath by the living God. Tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. Now, Caiaphas, the high priest, here he's acting as a prosecutor, he's acting as the judge, he's acting as a jury. And he's forcing Jesus to answer. And the Jewish law, very similar to our law, has something, you know, they don't call it the Fifth Amendment, but they have something like that where you don't, you're, not, you're never required to testify against yourself. And Caiaphas, he doesn't care about the law, he's saying you must answer under, under oath. Are you the son of God? Caiaphas, what he, what he did was completely improper. The high priest was to preside. He was not supposed to intervene. He was actually for, forbidden to, to question the accuser. Just another law to break right there. I charge you under oath by the living God. Tell us if you are the Christ, the son of God. Are you the son of God? And there's the million-dollar question right there. Are you the son? Under oath. Now, now, what's Jesus' options? What, 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 what can Jesus do with this? Can he remain silent? Is that, is that an option now? And I would tell you, that's not really an option because in Leviticus 5, verse 1, it says, if a person sins because he does not speak up when he hears a public charge to testify regarding something he has seen or has learned about which he has held, then, then he will be held responsible. So if you have information towards this, and he's been charged under oath. It was considered a sin to remain silent at this point. When you, when you, uh, when you know something to be true, and you're called to testify, and you remain silent. So you can't, he couldn't remain silent. He's been put under oath before God, and he knows the answer, so he has to answer. So he can't remain silent anymore. Another option, can he lie? We're talking about Jesus here. Jesus can't lie. So he can't stay silent. He can't lie. So he answers, are you the son of God? And he, what does he say? What does he say? He says, yes, it is as you say. And he goes on and says, but I say to all of you, in the future you will see the son of man sitting at the right hand of the mighty one coming on, coming on the clouds of heaven. Are you the son of God? Yes. This is the, the term son of God. It's only used a few times in the, in the Bible. Um, and as far as I can tell, Jesus never 
used it of himself. He never referred to himself as the son of God. Uh, he often referred to himself as the son of man, um, which is a very similar, means the same thing. Um, it, it mean, it, it, the, the Jewish people knew what that meant. Uh, he's claiming to be the Messiah. He's claiming to be deity. Um, but Jesus himself never used the term son of God. However, if you look in the scriptures, you see, okay, where it is used, the angels that announced Jesus' birth to Mary, what, what the, angels, uh, the, the angel tells Mary, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So, so the Holy One will, to be born will be called the Son of God. So, so it's there. The demons, when Jesus was casting out these, these demons, um, the, the, whenever the evil spirits saw Jesus, they fell down before him and they cried out, you are the son of God, in Mark chapter 3, verse 11. Satan, when Satan was trying to tempt Jesus, says, if you are the son of God, then tell these stones to become bread. So Satan knew who he was. The demons knew who he was. The angels declared who he was. When he was brought before Pilate, the, the Jews testified, we have a law, according to our law, he must die because he claimed to be the Son of God, which in fact he did. When he was asked under oath, are you the Son of God? He said, yes. He said, yes. So this is why they brought him before Pilate. He claims to be the Son of God. You've got to kill him. Now, I'll give you just a few more examples here um, because I, I think it's important. Who, when we're talking about Jesus, and we, we do that every Sunday here. I don't know if you notice that or not. Um, but we, yeah, we talk about Jesus a lot. Why? Because he's God. Wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. That's what it says in Isaiah 9, verse 6. Matthew 1, verse 23. Before Jesus was born, the angels declared Jesus would be called Emmanuel, which, which means God with us. In John chapter 1, John, John writes, In the beginning was the Word. We're talking about Jesus. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word became flesh. Jesus is the Word, and the Word is God. And Paul writes this in, in Colossians 2, verse 9, for, for in him, Jesus, dwells all the fullness of the Godhead. Uh, this verse, all, the, all the deity lives in bodily form in Jesus Christ. Come to terms with that verse right there. That verse. What's it mean? What's it mean? Jesus is God. Yet when Jesus said yes to this question that he was asked under oath, this is when they hit him and beat him and spat on him and mocked him because of this answer. That was 2,000 years ago. And a big part of my message today is nothing's changed in 2,000 years. People still respond almost violently when you mention the name of Jesus. I saw this article in a church newsletter. I thought this was, this was so profound. Let me read this to you. Jesus, it's a little name, a small word. Say this little name in public, however, in a way other than an obscenity, and stand back and watch the fireworks. This little name is like a tiny detonator that triggers a nuclear warhead. You can say God, and you won't get, you won't get a squeak. You can say our Father, our Mother in Heaven, and nobody's going to flinch. You can say Great Spirit, and people will nod in approval. You can say Allah, and you will be deemed tolerant. But say Jesus, and just wait for the sonic boom. Articles will appear in the paper. Reprimands will be posted from, from the home office. 
suits will be threatened by the civil liberties block. So don't say Jesus, because Jesus is divisive. And now's the time for unity. And Jesus is an extremist. And Jesus is exclusive. So his name amounts to hate speech. Keep his name to yourself. Cloister it in your, your church. Lock it in your prayer closet. Close it between the covers of your Bible. But for God's sake, don't voice it out in a public square because it's immodest. It's immoral. It's unloving. But one problem with that. He's God. Only one problem. Jesus alone brings salvation. Only one problem. All other gods are nothing. So speak his name loudly. Shout it from the mountain. Whisper it in the dark. Write it in the sky. It's not hate. Hate, it's hope. And I would tell you, it's the only hope that we have is the name of Jesus because he is the son of God. And yet you look at what the world is doing today. You look at how the world treats Jesus. I saw this posted um, this, this past week. Uh, I, I, I've seen it shared uh, numerous times, so maybe you, you, you've seen this here. This happened in New Albany, uh, where they were, um, the, was the New Albany Board of Public Works was asked for permission to shoot in the alleyway for a movie entitled America's Prayer. Just one small scene that would be shot on a, on a Sunday for a maximum of two hours, and they were unequivocally, unequivocally told in no uncertain terms that they, they wanted no part of a Jesus film in New Albany. Chris Robertson, he writes this, this is what I quote, we don't want to make a, a new, um, we don't want to make New Albany the sacrificial lamb. He says, I don't even know what that means. Um, they also said with great sarcasm, what do you do? Pick out a scripture like Jeremiah 29, 11 and make a movie out of it? You could see the disdain in their eyes, he writes. And his wife explained that, that, that Jesus would be in the alleyway bringing hope and a message of redemption. And even though some of them had tears in their eyes, they would not budge. No matter how we explained it, no matter how we poured our hearts out about what the youth are facing in today's world, they came back with no after no after no until they just made a motion and voted no and we had to leave. Our kids are dying. This is what Chris Robertson writes. He says, our kids are from a, dying from a tsunami of drugs and darkness, and these politicians do not want to be a part of the solution. Oh, they said we, they agreed with our message, but they were not willing to make New Albany uh, the sacrificial lamb. Jesus is the only sacrificial lamb. But this is the world that we now live in. I'm going to give you a few more verses here. What John writes, in the end of John's gospel, John 20, verse 31, John writes, these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. How important is this issue that we're talking about today? Is Jesus the Christ? Is Jesus the Son of God? John says, this is the whole reason I wrote my gospel is so you would know this. He writes in 1 John chapter 4, verse 15, if anyone acknowledges Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in him and he in God. It's a pretty important thing to understand, a pretty important concept to understand, that Jesus is the Son of God. In 1 John chapter 5, verse 12, he who has the Son has life. 
He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. Caiaphas charged Jesus, are you the Son of God? I charge you under oath. Tell me under oath. And Jesus answered, yes. And you would think Caiaphas, if he's a smart man at all, he would fall on his knees and worship. But that's not what he did. That's not what happened here. No. It goes on verse 65. Then the high priest tore his clothes he said, uh, and said, he has spoken blasphemy. Why do we need any more witnesses? Look, now you have heard the blasphemy. What do you think? And they all shouted, he's worthy of death. So the charge, the charge is blasphemy. This is why they took him to the cross. This is why they killed him, because he claims to be God. So I think it's important for us to understand what blasphemy is. Um, this is a very, it's important to me um, because I believe blasphemy is a very serious charge. Blasphemy is a very serious offense. And yet we live in a world today, when you think about serious offenses, um, what, you, know, you look at a list, you know, top 10, and I would think maybe murder would be at the top of the list, but in our world today, I'm really confused if, if that would even make the list anymore. I don't know. Uh, what, is, what is the most egregious thing that somebody can do? Maybe in our culture it would be murder. Maybe it's something else. You, you know, what, what do you think our world would say is the most egregious offense? But where's blasphemy on the list? Number two, number three, number five, and there is no list. I'm just making this up, but I'm thinking my understanding in our world is it's probably down at 5,073 or something, or worse than that. Nobody cares about blasphemy. Insulting God, showing contempt for God. What is it? The, the, the act of insulting or showing contempt for God, the lack of reverence for God, or the act of claiming the attributes of a deity. That's what, what Jesus is claiming to be God. That's why they're saying this is blasphemy. Irreverence towards something considered sacred. Our, our culture today has a serious problem with blasphemy. It has no problem with insulting God or being disrespectful to God or showing contempt for God, but they have a huge problem with Jesus claiming to be God. That's our culture today. Nothing's changed in 2,000 years. Things have changed, but it's sad. It's sad where we are now. Blasphemy is a terrible thing. I just think, I, I, I want you to hear from me, blasphemy is a terrible thing. Please don't be guilty of blaspheming the name of God. Please don't do that. And, and what's going on here would be blasphemy if Jesus wasn't God, but he is. And Son of God is his rightful title. That's who he is. He is the Son of God. And the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the Sanhedrin, the Caiaphas, they were all looking for false evidence. And the whole reason Matthew wrote his gospel was to give you all the evidence. What we've been doing for three years, look at the evidence. Look at the life of Jesus. You, you look at the words of Jesus. You look at the miracles of Jesus. You know, they all called their false witnesses in and, and looking for false evidence. They never, they never gave Jesus a chance to call any of his witnesses. Who do you think Jesus could have called? Hey, Lazarus. Hey, Lazarus, how about you come and tell them what happened? Jairus, Jairus, and Jairus' daughter, uh, you know, the, the, the lame, the blind, all these, all these people who experienced the power of God through Jesus Christ. Jesus could have called a lot of witnesses, but they didn't want to hear from them. You look at the lives of the disciples, not before Jesus died on that cross, not before Jesus rose from the dead, but after Jesus rose from the dead, you look at those disciples, you look at their lives. And, and, and they changed, these men changed the world. Ordinary men, unschooled men, what got into these guys? 
God got into these guys. The Holy Spirit got into them. They were transformed by the Holy Spirit. They knew who Jesus was. And they've tried to tell the world, Jesus is God. You look at, you look at the fulfilled prophecies. Josh McDowell says that the Old Testament contains over 300 references to the Messiah that were f- fulfilled by Jesus. And the Sanhedrin knew the word of God. They should have, this, should have been, this should have been so obvious to them. But they don't want to look at the evidence. They're looking for false evidence. And that's something that hasn't changed much in 2,000 years. You still have people in our world that don't want to look at the evidence. They don't want to confront the evidence. They don't want to be confronted by the evidence. They, they don't want to be confronted by the ramifications that Jesus is the Son of God. People would just rather ignore that and suppress that and make it go away because people don't want, they don't want God messing with them. They don't want God telling them what they can do and what they can't do. They don't want to submit to God. They don't want, they don't want to be held accountable to God. Caiaphas, the high priest, he tore his clothes. He has spoken blasphemy, they said. He said, why do we need any more witnesses? Look, now you've heard this blasphemy. What do you think? And they all shouted, he's worthy of death. That, that, they, they, they say he's worthy of death. No. Jesus is worthy of our lives. Jesus is worthy of our all, of everything. He's spoken blasphemy. What do you think? This is what Caiaphas says. He's spoken blasphemy. What do you think? And I want to ask you the question. What do you think? They say he's worthy of death. What do you think? All that you know about Jesus, all that you've heard about Jesus, all that you've studied about Jesus, what do you think? What is your conclusion? You know, in, in Matthew 16, Jesus asked Peter, who, who do people say that I am? And who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, you are the Christ. It's time for us to answer that question. Who do you say he is? What do you think of Jesus who says he's the son of God? What are you going to do with Jesus? If Jesus is the son of God, and this is what you've got to process, the consequences of that is enormous. If Jesus is the son of God, it tells us a few things. First of all, there is a God. There is a God. You can't just ignore that. And, and God can be known through Jesus. And something that tells me is he would rather die than live without you. That's how much God loves you. If Jesus is the Son of God and we know how the rest of the story goes, we know Jesus is alive and well today. And he reigns next to his Father in heaven. And we know that he is the only way to the presence of God. He's the way, the truth, the life. He says no one comes to the Father except through him. The ramifications of understanding this, answering this, are enormous. And I'm not letting you off the hook today. You've got to deal with this. I pray you deal with this before you get out of the room today. What do you think? Who do you say he is? Philip Yancey, 
He, he writes, it occurs to me that all the contorted theories about Jesus that have been spontaneously generating since the day of his death merely confirm the awesome risk God took when he stretched himself out on that dissection table, a risk he seemed welcomed to welcome. He, he says, examine me, test me, you decide. What are you going to do with Jesus? What are you going to do with Jesus? I'm going to ask the worship team to come forward, and I have one more point I want to make. While they're coming forward and while you're thinking about what your decision is with Jesus, what you're going to do with Jesus, let, let me highlight one more thing in this passage here. Matthew 26, verse 6, if we go back to this here, the high, the, um, the high priest tore his clothes and said, this is blasphemy. He tore his clothes. The high priest tore his clothes. Now, that might seem like something that's insignificant. There's a couple of verses in Leviticus that I want, to, I want to bring to your attention here. In Leviticus 21, verse 10, the high priest, the one, uh, the one among the brothers who has, who has been anointed, who has the anointing oil poured on his head and who has been ordained to wear the priestly garments, must not let his hair become unkempt or tear his clothes. The high priest must not tear his clothes. You see that? Leviticus, Leviticus 10, verse 6. Well, then Moses said to Aaron and his sons, and I can't say their names, um, do not let your hair become unkempt, and do not tear your clothes, or you will die, and the Lord will be angry with the whole community. To understand this, the, the priestly garments, they, they are very, they're sacred garments. They, they, they are very special garments. They, they're given uh, extensive details in Leviticus how to make these, these garments to exact specifications. Um, and, and, and the whole thing about tearing your clothes, that's associated with mourning or grieving. Uh, to, to hear Jesus say something that, that they considered blasphemy, they were grieving that. That's why they, they ripped their clothes. But to rip the priestly garments, which is forbidden in Leviticus, this obscure verse in Leviticus, if a priest tore his garments, he lost his position as priest. And he could very well face death. When Caiaphas dramatically ripped his garments to show how offended he was by Jesus' words, he was unknowingly breaking a Levitical law, a very important Levitical law. In, in doing so, he was unknowingly renouncing his position as priest. Clothes are only torn when there's no further use for them. The ripping of his priestly garb symbolized that his priesthood had departed him. When Caiaphas tore his garment... Not only did his spiritual authority come to an end, but so did the authority of the entire Levitical priesthood. The old order had ended. The new order has come. Jesus today is our high priest. That's good news. Because we know Jesus is not corrupt. We know Jesus is the Son of God. My question today is, what will you do with Jesus?